the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved. And still, the Bible stands, totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. That would be me. Thank you for joining us tonight. We are ready to continue our way through the book of Daniel. I have read this every year. And as you do that and you pick up the rhythm of going through the Bible, through all the scriptures, you come back around to different books. And every year they somehow create a little bit of a different impression, have a different effect on you. This year I've just stunned with the impact of this singular life, this individual named Daniel, remarkable person in and of himself with his talent, with his intelligence. If you think about being taken out of your culture into another society, all of the linguistic challenges and the cultural adaptations. We lived overseas for about eight years and cultural adaptation, culture shock, and these things are all realities. And to be effective in another culture, in another society is a very challenging thing to do for anyone. And for Daniel to have bridged that gap and to have become the great leader that he was, the tremendous impact on the Babylonian Empire. And then you overlay that with his prophecies, which we are going to get into this evening, not only decades, but centuries in advance, accurately predicting the rising and falling of the great empires that would come in the next three to five centuries ahead of him. We're going to pick up in Daniel chapter 7 tonight when we come to that part of our program. As always, though, we begin and end our program with what we call our Wisdom and Worship segment tonight, Psalm 127. It's another of the Songs of Ascent or the pilgrim psalms that the Jewish people sang and recited back and forth as family groups and caravans as they made their way to Jerusalem for the religious festivals. They would sing out to other groups as they met on the road, as they all went together to the temple, to the house of the Lord. They sing these songs to remind themselves of who God is, 
different aspects of his character, different attributes of the true and living God. I do want to mention just before we get into our readings tonight that we do indeed hope that you will visit the merchants who help us put the program on the air and that you would consider partnering with us on the Bible Live broadcast. We really need partners. We need your assistance, your help putting the Bible on the airwaves here across South Texas. And our vision is to be on that satellite so we can become available to cities all across America. Help us give the gift of the Bible live to America. We'd appreciate your assistance. Let's go now to our wisdom and worship segment from Psalm 127 tonight on the Bible live. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is useless. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like sharp arrows in a warrior's hands. How happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. End of reading, Psalm 127. You're listening to The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. And we are back. You know, we never want to forget as we make our way through the Bible that the central story is the story of redemption and the central character is the Redeemer himself, the one called Meshua Hashua, Jesus the Messiah. We need to always remind ourselves that that cross is central. God's Son, the Holy One of Israel, the only perfect one, left glory, voluntarily left off the free exercise of divine prerogatives and initiatives, came and humbled himself to become a man and limited himself. The infinite became finite. The independent became dependent for our sakes. Now we see him prefigured, predicted. Daniel, in the first great vision there, he saw this statue representing Babylon and the Medo-Persian Empire and the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire that would come after them. But then there was a great huge rock that came and crushed the statue, crushes them all, and becomes a great mountain that fills the earth. He's talking about Messiah. He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Of course, we've already seen that vision described in the book of Daniel. Tonight, we pick up in chapter 7. Now, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel describe Daniel's life. They tell his story. We do get a couple of the visions there, but they are given in the context of his story, of his life, of events, things that took place with him. Now, as we move into chapter 7, we are going to hear the visions and dreams he did not understand. He dreams of four beasts, which represent four kingdoms of the world, a ram and a goat, which depicted two of those kingdoms in greater detail. Then Daniel's visions reveal the Messiah that will be the ruler of a spiritual kingdom. Tonight, we begin with his vision of four beasts, and we'll go deeper with the ram and the goat. Let's listen now to the Bible live. Daniel 7, 1 through 9, 27. Daniel 7. Earlier, during the first year of King Belshazzar's reign in Babylon, Daniel had a dream and saw visions as he lay in his bed. 
He wrote the dream down and this is what he saw. In my vision that night, I, Daniel, saw a great storm churning the surface of a great sea, with strong winds blowing from every direction. Then four huge beasts came up out of the water, each different from the others. The first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. As I watched, its wings were pulled off, and it was left standing with its two hind feet on the ground like a human being, and a human mind was given to it. Then I saw a second beast, and it looked like a bear. It was rearing up on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And I heard a voice saying to it, Get up, devour my people. Then the third of these strange beasts appeared, and it looked like a leopard. It had four wings like bird's wings on its back, and it had four heads. Great authority was given to this beast. Then in my vision that night I saw a fourth beast, terrifying, dreadful, and very strong. It devoured and crushed its victims with huge iron teeth and trampled what was left beneath its feet. It was different from any of the other beasts, and it had ten horns. As I was looking at the horns, suddenly another small horn appeared among them. Three of the first horns were wrenched out, roots and all, to make room for it. This little horn had eyes like human eyes, and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. I watched as thrones were put in place, and the Ancient One sat down to judge. His clothing was as white as snow, his hair like whitest wool. He sat on a fiery throne with wheels of blazing fire, and a river of fire flowed from his presence. Millions of angels ministered to him, and a hundred million stood to attend him. Then the court began its session, and the books were opened. I continued to watch because I could hear the little horn's boastful speech. I kept watching until the fourth beast was killed, and its body was destroyed by fire. As for the other three beasts, their authority was taken from them, but they were allowed to live for a while longer. As my vision continued that night, I saw someone who looked like a man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and royal power over all the nations of the world, so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled by all I had seen, and my visions terrified me. So I approached one of those standing beside the throne and asked him what it all meant. He explained it to me like this. These four huge beasts represent four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But in the end, the holy people of the Most High will be given the kingdom, and they will rule forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, the one so different from the others and so terrifying. It devoured and crushed its victims with iron teeth and bronze claws, and it trampled what was left beneath its feet. I also asked about the ten horns on the fourth beast's head and the little horn that came up afterward, and destroyed three of the other horns. This was the horn that seemed greater than the others, and had human eyes and a mouth that was boasting arrogantly. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and was defeating them, until the Ancient One came and judged in favor of the holy people of the Most High. Then the time arrived for the holy people to take over the kingdom. Then he said to me, this fourth beast is the fourth world power that will rule the earth. It will be different from all the others. It will devour the whole world, trampling everything in its path. Its ten horns are ten kings that will rule that empire. Then another king will arise, different from the other ten, who will subdue three of them. He will defy the Most High and wear down the holy people of the Most High. 
He will try to change their sacred festivals and laws, and they will be placed under his control for a time, times, and half a time. But then the court will pass judgment, and all his power will be taken away and completely destroyed. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be given to the holy people of the Most High. They will rule forever, and all rulers will serve and obey them. That was the end of the vision. I, Daniel, was terrified by my thoughts, and my face was pale with fear. But I kept these things to myself. You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Daniel 8. During the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision following the one that had already appeared to me. This time I was at the fortress of Susa in the province of Elam, standing beside the Ulai River. As I looked up, I saw in front of me a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. One of the horns was longer than the other, even though it had begun to grow later than the shorter one. The ram butted everything out of its way to the west, to the north, and to the south and no one could stand against it or help its victims. It did as it pleased, and became very great. While I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west, crossing the land so swiftly that it didn't even touch the ground. This goat, which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck it, breaking off both its horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked it down and trampled it. There was no one who could rescue the ram from the goat's power. The goat became very powerful, but at the height of its power its large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew four prominent horns pointing in the four directions of the earth. From one of the prominent horns came a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south and the east and toward the glorious land of Israel. His power reached to the heavens where it attacked the heavenly armies, throwing some of the heavenly beings and stars to the ground and trampling them. He even challenged the commander of heaven's armies by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying his temple. But the army of heaven was restrained from destroying him for this sin. As a result, sacrilege was committed against the temple ceremonies and truth was overthrown. The horn succeeded in everything it did. Then I heard two of the holy ones talking to each other. One of them said, How long will the events of this vision last? How long will the rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will the temple and heaven's armies be trampled on? The other replied, It will take 2300 evenings and mornings. Then the temple will be restored. As I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision, someone who looked like a man suddenly stood in front of me. And I heard a human voice calling out from the Ulai River, Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of his vision. As Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand that the events you have seen in your vision relate to the time of the end. While he was speaking, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. But Gabriel roused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. Then he said, I am here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. The two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. The four prominent horns that replaced the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four sections with four kings, none of them as great as the first. 
at the end of their rule, when their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception, defeating many by catching them off guard. Without warning, he will destroy them. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle, but he will be broken, though not by human power. This vision about the 2300 evenings and mornings is true, but none of these things will happen for a long time, so do not tell anyone about them yet. Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterward I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and could not understand it. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Daniel 9 It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Ahasuerus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, was studying the writings of the prophets. I learned from the word of the Lord, as recorded by Jeremiah the prophet, that Jerusalem must lie desolate for seventy years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and fasting. I wore rough sackcloth and sprinkled myself with ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, you are a great and awesome God. You always fulfill your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and keep your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets, who spoke your messages to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right, but our faces are covered with shame, just as you see us now. This is true of us all, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel, scattered near and far wherever you have driven us because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord, we and our kings, princes, and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has disobeyed your law and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out against us because of our sin. You have done exactly what you warned you would do against us and our rulers. Never in all history has there been a disaster like the one that happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. All the troubles he predicted have taken place. But we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. The Lord has brought against us the disaster he prepared. For we did not obey him, and the Lord our God is just in everything he does. O Lord our God, you brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. In view of all your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city of Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. O oh, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. O oh, my God, listen to me and hear my request. Open your eyes and see our wretchedness. See how your city lies in ruins. 
for everyone knows that it is yours. We do not ask because we deserve help, but because you are so merciful. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. For your own sake, O oh my God, do not delay. For your people and your city bear your name. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people, pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy mountain. As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the end of the evening sacrifice. He explained to me, Daniel, I have come here to give you insight and understanding. The moment you began praying, a command was given. I am here to tell you what it was, for God loves you very much. Now listen so you can understand the meaning of your vision. A period of seventy sets of seven has been decreed for your people and your holy city to put down rebellion, to bring an end to sin, to atone for guilt, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to confirm the prophetic vision, and to anoint the most holy place. Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus sixty-two sets of seven will pass from the time the command is given to rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses, despite the perilous times. After this period of sixty-two sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing, and a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood, and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. He will make a treaty with the people for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. Then, as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration, until the end that has been decreed is poured out on this defiler. End of reading, Daniel 7, 1 through 9, 27. An amazing reading tonight from the book of Daniel. This particular passage, starting out in chapter 7, fits chronologically before chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, where Belshazzar has just been given the position of authority. Remember, Belshazzar reigned under his father, Nabonidus, in the Babylonian Empire. 556 B.C. is when Nabonidus came to the throne of Babylon, and his son began to co-reign, a co-regency, with Nabonidus in 553, three years later. Again, I repeat, that's why he offered Daniel the third position in the kingdom is because there was a co-regency and he could not offer the second because he was second under his father. Daniel received this vision tonight in chapter 7 during the time of Belshazzar. He is in his 60s. He sees these four figures, the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the fourth creature with ten horns the lion is understood to be Babylon, with emphasis on its swift conquests. The bear was the Medo-Persian Empire. The three ribs in his mouth were the three major enemies that the Medo-Persians overcame, and they're coming to power. The leopard is Greece. Under Alexander the Great, the wings are fast, and the four heads represent the four divisions of the Greek Empire after Alexander died. Then the fourth creature is Rome, with the ten horns, ten horns, <laughs> a ten horn dictator. When you hear that phrase, he's a ten horn dictator. It's not talking about T-I-N, ten. It's talking about the number ten. There were ten horns. 
A lot of people use phrases and biblical cliches. The other night we were talking about he saw the handwriting on the wall, and it's made its way into our popular lexicon. People say, that well, he saw the handwriting on the wall. We know what it means, but a lot of folks don't understand it. It comes from the Bible. Right out of the book of Daniel here, remember the hand that appeared and declared the reign of Belshazzar over. Your kingdom has been weighed in the balance and found wanting, and that you will be destroyed. So that's right out of Daniel chapter 6, was it, that particular passage? We have another one here about the ten horn dictators that jumps now to the final end times. Just before Messiah comes, there will be the residual of the Roman Empire with its emphasis on democracy and so on. These ten kingdoms, they could be exactly ten kingdoms. Some people spend a lot of time trying to count the number of countries in the European alliance, trying to get to the number ten. But it may not be exactly, maybe symbolic of all of the kingdoms, the world powers that exist before Messiah returns. In chapter 9 there, it talks about this time before the Messiah will be killed, the 70 sets of seven. These are weeks of years. This has a specific moment when this timetable kicks off, when that decree is issued, allowing the people of Israel to go back to Israel. When that decree is issued, then this 69-week period begins. We know exactly the year that that happened. And when you do that calculation, it comes down exactly almost to the day, to the week, in fact, of the time when Jesus entered Jerusalem for his final week of the Passover, Passion Week. Some people dated even closer than that, coming down to the actual date of the crucifixion. So we have these powerful messages these powerful prophecies. Chapter 8, in the middle of those two visions, spends some time talking about Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. The time of judgment is mentioned in chapter 7. The books are open. It refers to judgment there in chapter 7, verse 10. The dead are judged according to what they've done as recorded in the books. Now, much of this also is picked up in the vision of John on the Isle of Patmos for the book of the Revelation at the end of the New Testament. Much of the language and the symbolism are seen in his visions, which would be understandable. He was a man of the scriptures, and that was a part of his vision, many of these symbols as well. So very exciting and very specific prophecies. He gives more detail on the vision from chapter 7 in chapter 8. Particularly in chapter 8, the goat represents Greece, and its large horn is Alexander the Great. Well, it would be a mistake to focus entirely on the historical aspects, even the prophetic aspects of Daniel without understanding the deep personal feelings involved in this individual. Daniel's prayer is astounding. In his prayer, he confesses his own sin using the pronoun we throughout the prayer there in chapter 9, just before Gabriel came to him with this message of the coming of Messiah. If anyone was righteous in Judah or Israel at that time, it must have been Daniel. Still, he confessed his own sinfulness and his need for God's forgiveness. Instead of looking to others and looking at others to blame, we need to examine our own lives first, confess our own sins to God. And notice that he begged for mercy, not for just assistance or help, because he knew that God's people deserved wrath and punishment. But God is gracious. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Soapy Reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. 
You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word. 